Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I'm excited to introduce to you my friend and my, my neighbor. I don't know if you guys know this, but Sandy lives right across the street from me. And she has been a blessing to my family for the last 12 years that we have been neighbors in the same cul-de-sac. So it is my honor to introduce her to you. Uh, Sandy is the wife of Danny Cunningham, our executive pastor here at Temple Bible Church, and she is his better half for sure. <laughs> he, would, he would wholeheartedly agree. He asked me to say that. So uh, if you would, let's pray together for Sandy, and she's going to teach us this morning. God, we just thank you so much uh, for what you have taught Sandy in her study of your word, just as you have taught us as in our study, and then you have taught us together at our tables. And we just ask you, God, to give her courage and strength to share with us what you have put on her heart. Would you teach us, and would, we, would you help us to listen and to learn from you and you alone? We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think my mic gets really loud. <laughs> Come on. All right. Good morning, ladies. I hope your time of discussion at your tables has been a blessing to you all. I'm so grateful for this group of women. They encourage me and help me grow every week. Um, I am a woman who loves our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm blessed by time in the Word because I think He reveals Himself to us there. And I've enjoyed my time of preparation this week so much. Um, I hope that some of the observations that I have made and some that I have found from other very wise people will be of interest to you. Um, we're going to have three topics, the mystery revealed through Christ, God's manifold wisdom, and a prayer for God's family. Today's section of scripture began in 3-7 with another one of Paul's reflections on the grace that had been shown to him by God. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul is completely humble about this calling on his life, and he tells us in 3-8, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He feels privileged to have been called to enlighten the Gentiles with the news of God's great plan and of their participation in it. And this is especially amazing because we know from our lesson that had us look back and reread the story of Paul, who was called Saul at the time, in Acts 9, 1 through 19, that he was a zealous Jew. He was actively working against the spread of the way, against Christianity, and he was seeking to pursue and imprison those who were following the Lord. But God... God called this man who was so fervently against the spread of the gospel to be a gifted evangelist and a teacher to spread this good news and reveal the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's imprisonment isn't seen by him as a derailment of his calling. He sees that this is the way that God is running the world through the suffering, through the love, through the self-giving of his people united in the Messiah. In other words, this is God's redemptive plan for the world for those who are in Christ. 
In 3.9, Paul shares that he is a minister of the mystery that was hidden or not made known to people in other generations. But now at this point in history, it can be understood The plan of God was present in the Old Testament and from our vantage point, we can look back and we can see very clearly that there were hints, but the folks who were living in that time didn't didn't have all the insights that we've been blessed with now. When Christ appeared, things became more clear. Why our Messiah had to die, that the Gentiles do not have to become Jews, that Gentiles and Jews have equal access to God through Christ and the fact that God is very near to us in the new covenant. That Gentiles who once couldn't enter God's temple are now a part of the new structure, the holy temple that is being built with Christ as a cornerstone. These are things that people should know and celebrate. Next is God's manifold wisdom. In verse 310, he tells us that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When Paul says through the church, he's speaking of the church that he described in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, Jew and Gentile together. And this manifold wisdom of God is not a phrase that we commonly use, Uh, that word in Greek that got translated into, uh, as manifold means many, various, rich colors alongside each other. Other definitions are multifaceted, varied, and many colored. It would be the appropriate word to use if you were going to speak of a garden that was planted with a multitude of flowers and they were just all blooming and looking gorgeous in their beauty together or of a beautiful, intricate piece of embroidery with many colors and great detail. God's church is now to be a combination, a joining together of many ethnicities, cultures, and peoples. Many previously separate people joining together to be one new man, one new culture, one new people. A people, a family, a fellowship, who have been called, redeemed, forgiven, made alive and united in Christ. God is uniting sinners, transforming us with his grace. And I love that Leah pointed out to us two weeks ago that it's his grace that draws us to him. Helping us to overcome our self-serving tendency and to become one, his body displaying his power. The existence of this new church, united because of the work of Jesus Christ, is revealing God's plans to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. These are both good and evil spirits. The good spirits witness the grace of God and marvel at his wisdom and power. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for men, excuse me, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. And Revelation 7, 10 says, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's plans are a defeat for the evil angels. 
they would like to continue to engender animosity between people, especially between Jews and Gentiles, in order to frustrate the plans of God, as if they could. Ladies, God worked so powerfully in the heart of this radically zealous Jewish man that he was moved to endure torture and suffering for the sake of sharing the truth of the gospel with the Gentiles. What an incredible display of the might of our Lord. What an example of his power to change hearts and to change lives. The demonic forces look on and they are in fear, they tremble. These evil forces have already been defeated at the cross. They await their final judgment and the existence of the church is announcing that their rule is coming to an end once and for all. Excuse me, just a minute. I was born in the year of 1960. That means that I was an elementary school student during the time when children were taught that people in the Soviet Union hated Americans and were actively working to drop atomic bombs on us and eliminate us. We regularly practiced something at school. getting into a position to protect ourselves. And these were referred to as duck and cover drills. Do any of you ladies recall participating in those? For you younger gals, (laughs) a signal would be given, an alarm would go off, and we'd all scurry to an interior hallway of the building. We'd get down, rolled into a little ball, and put our hands behind the backs of our necks. And um, the wisdom was that if a bomb had been dropped some distance away, but there was flying debris, that that position might somehow protect us. I grew up with a fear of all things Soviet firmly embedded in my heart. Then, in 1996, my dear husband Danny felt led to join a group of people from TBC that were traveling into Ukraine to assist with the presentation of a pastor's conference there. Gary and Bev DeSalvo were a part of that team. The Americans were supposed to assist with the details behind the scenes to serve the pastors who were in attendance. They also, the group also visited orphanages and delivered clothing that many of you probably donated uh, to help to clothe those children who were in need. And the men in the group went to a facility that housed and cared for men who were addicted to alcohol. It was a great stretch of my comfort zone to agree with the idea of Danny making that trip into Soviet territory. But we prayed about it and agreed that he should go. On the day that the group returned, our children joined me and we went to the Colleen Airport and this was back when you could go to the gate and greet everyone and Bev DeSalvo was one of the first people to walk off the plane and she looked at me and said, well, get ready. You'll be going to Ukraine soon. Your husband fell in love with the people there. (laughs) I had never never traveled as a young person. My family didn't travel. I didn't even know other people who did that regularly. So it was no aspiration of mine. I am also the most germaphobic person you will ever meet. (laughs) And the idea of an airplane full of strangers breathing common air for hours and hours sounded like a Petri dish that I had no desire to crawl into. But Bev's prediction turned out to be true. A year later, Danny felt led to have our whole family, 
Our son was 10 at the time and our daughter was eight. Uh, we were to join a group of 14 people that were headed into Ukraine to assist with another pastor's conference. I love and trust my husband, but I was not at all convinced that this was a good idea. It was our children's first time on a commercial flight and the thought of an overseas flight that was gonna be long stretches of having to sit still, I just wasn't sure about that. Also, it was February. It was nippy here. It was freezing cold over there. Our children actually saw their first snow in Bailey Sirkoff. Uh, my heart was fearful because of the messages that I'd heard as a child. But we were there for 10 days sharing time with and staying in the homes of believers in the town of Belyosirkov. We got by with the aid of a Russian-English language book and a lot of sign language and the assistance of a few translators. And we loved all of the saints we were blessed to share time with. We were all profoundly changed by our experiences there. So much so that we returned two years later to help with a, a new venture. We were helping with putting on camps for the children of Billy Surkoff. That trip involved the overseas flight. And then once we were there, it was an overnight train trip uh, to get to the countryside. Uh, we went to the coast of the Sea of Azov. And on that trip, we were assigned the help of a young woman by the name of Jana. And she is a gifted translator, knows multiple languages, and she's delightful and kind. She has twinkly eyes, and she loves children, and she just was such a blessing to us. Her demeanor helped to melt away all the tension that I was feeling about all the new stuff we were experiencing on that trip. But what amazed me was a comment that she made. At one point on the train, we were sharing time, trying to entertain there were over 100 children on board and we were trying to keep everyone in their places and entertained and calm. And she stopped and looked me in the eyes and she said, I was taught to fear you. She said, when I was in school, they told me that you wanted to kill us and I was afraid of Americans. <laughs> we hugged and we laughed at the realization that we had been needlessly deceived powers and authorities who had sought to keep us apart, didn't know either of us, but had spoken of what was in our hearts as if it was fact. They had driven a wedge to relationship, but God. The original team of TBCers who went into Ukraine many years before I was privileged to go had gone in at the invitation of a dear pastor by the name of Pavel Marchuk. He's a third-generation Christian who had persisted in sharing the gospel message during the Soviet rule in his country. TBC was invited to participate in a program to help to get materials into the hands of the churches there. Uh, it's a very poor country, especially at that time, and they just didn't have basic materials for instruction. So TBC had sent over some videos, um, a player for the videos, some printed materials. And Gary said on numerous occasions that he thought that was the extent of the TBC involvement. But Pavel invited members of our church to come over to visit his country, and they went. Those initial trips into Ukraine were challenging because Ukraine was not accustomed to visitors from the West. Armed soldiers 
greeted you. The personnel in the airports looked at you very seriously and suspiciously. The luggage that was brought in was all routinely opened and dug through. Um, you were questioned about everything. No greetings or smiles were exchanged. It was very intimidating. But then, when you made it into the lobby of the airport and the people of the church were there, what a difference. Smiles and warmth. On Danny's original trip, the group of Americans, pardon me, was so large that he got separated from the bulk of the group that was going into one form of transportation and he got assigned to travel alone in the car with the band that he'd never laid eyes on before. And they didn't have a single word of language in common between them. And it was going to be an hour and a half trip at night in a little Lada. Uh, it was a little intimidating at first. Kolya uh, is a pastor there, we now know, but at the time we didn't know anything about him. And he was trying to talk to Danny and going, bzz, 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 bzz. Danny had no idea what that meant. He was trying to tell him that he's a beekeeper and makes honey, <laughs> jars honey. <laughs> they attempted the gesturing and the sounds and some facial expressions, but he wasn't getting them very far. So it looked like it was going to be a quiet trip and they sat silently for just a little while. And then Danny felt prompted to begin to sing a hymn in English. And Kolya joined in in Ukrainian. And for an hour, they sang hymns together. Not in the same language, but the melodies were the same. And so there was a connection. By the time I was blessed with the opportunity to visit, some of the initial groundwork had been laid by members of our body who had already visited there. And so I was welcomed. I was treated like a sister in Christ by those friends. That's what the family of God does. It's an incredible blessing. That fellowship that we share with them has blessed our family in ways that I can't even enumerate. We've been back to Ukraine as a family for many, many summers to help with putting on those camps. And then when our children became uh, launched and into their college careers, we started going for other uh, training that was happening there. The saints from the U U church in Ukraine were so winsome and welcoming in the playgrounds of the flats that, where they lived that even unbelieving parents were willing to send their children on a train trip into the countryside with people that, they were, that were their neighbors but for two weeks away from home, trusting that they would care well for their children. And the Ukrainians brothers and sisters are just so fervent in their desire to share the truth with these children that they would take that on. And they mothered those children and fathered those children, cared for them, took care of laundering their clothes by hand at night and hanging them so that they could have the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. We've lost count of the number of trips we've made, somewhere around 25. And we've also had the blessing of having them come to visit us here in America numerous times. We, they are family to us. Walls have been broken down because of the manifold wisdom of our God. Efforts to participate in the work of the saints in other cultures are continuing in multiple other countries around the world today. They're being made in communities right here in Central Texas and other cities in the United States. Walls of fear and intolerance that once separated people are being chipped away at. 
According to this text, we were saved so that we can participate in God's work in these efforts. We can be a part of making his wisdom known. As we studied the books of Joshua and Judges and read in Deuteronomy last semester, God spoke to his people and told them the truth of what he had accomplished on their behalf. Victories and possession of lands were spoken of as accomplished, and yet there were still obedient actions that they had to take in order to see God's mighty work. Some of the Hebrews, God's chosen people, at times felt a superiority to the other cultures around them because of the covenant that God had made with them. A people set apart for himself to preserve his prophecies and his laws was important in order for God's plans to be seen in all of their fullness. But they were not chosen because of something wonderfully unique about them. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 read, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set this love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Sisters gathered in this room, we all share the commonality of being sinners who've been redeemed by Christ. And hopefully we've overcome many of the sinful habits and tendencies that were present in all of us when he called us to be his. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I watch the evening news, it's clear that people have a sin nature and that we're prone to harming each other. And it's really easy to get angry and indignant with all the people who are behaving so badly. Christians are part of God's family and we can sometimes feel a little superior because we know and walk with the Lord. But this is not of ourselves. Romans 5.8 tells us, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 told us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is no room for pride in the hearts of people who know God. We are all a part of God's family because of grace. He has extended grace to us, not because of anything lovely that we had to offer him. We are all called to be humble servants because he has, in his grace and love, invited us, called us, and named us his. God's manifold wisdom is being revealed to the rulers and authorities. It's a stated fact in his word. It's not made or broken by my personal decisions. It's not made or broken by your personal decisions. It's a stated fact in his word. 
We may have to do things that will not fit in with our personal comfort zones, but I want to be a part of his plan. I want to participate. I want to demonstrate his wisdom. I want to bring glory to his name. Our wonderful God is deserving of our best efforts to participate. John Piper has said, but let us also dwell on this, that God ordained the death of his son to reconcile alien people groups to each other in one body in Christ. This too was the design of the death of Christ. Think on this. Christ died to take enmity and anger and malice and indifference away from your heart toward all other persons who are in Christ by faith, whatever the race. God is fully aware of the challenges that our being together with others has. He made us. He knows us and he knows our personal preferences. He knows our individual temperaments. He knows our quirks and our habits and our tendencies all make our being together as a harmonious new group difficult for us. Yet with all of the challenges that we might face, we're called to be the people of God. Even the people who speak unkindly about us, the ones who irritate us or who we find challenging to be with, they are all people that God loves so much that Christ gave his life for them. Amy reminded us last week that the person we find the most difficult to share time with is someone that Christ was willing to die for. The Holy Spirit within us helps us to set aside our personal preferences, to overcome our challenges, and to offer forgiveness for our hurts. And then we can respond to the call to reach out and to be with others with the goal of bringing glory to God. It is a witness to the power of our Lord to transform us and to use our lives. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. When the church is being the church, united and holy, then the principalities and powers know that Jesus the Messiah is Lord and they are not. And that is, it seems to me, vital for the witness of the church in the contemporary world. Ephesians 3.10 has often simply been forgotten by the Western church. We've concentrated on being the church away from the rest of the world, rather than simply being the people that the rest of the world might look at and say, something is going on there. Our being together is not for the purpose of earning God's favor. He's already called us to be his and already demonstrated his amazing love for us through Christ's sacrifice. Because of the reconciliation Christ has made for us, we are able to approach our Father with boldness and confidence. Our final section is a prayer for God's family. Paul desires that the people that he cares for gain full understanding of God's love for them. In Ephesians 3.14, he bows his knees before the Father to pray for them. He has great confidence through faith in Christ, and yet he humbly kneels. In verse 3.12, we were just told that we can approach God with boldness and confidence because of the faith he's given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. God inspired these words of Paul's 
He wants us to come to him. But are we humble as we come to him with our praises and our requests? We might not always kneel to pray. You might be seated. You might be walking. You might have your arms raised or you might be on the ground with your face to the floor. But is your heart humble before our wonderful God? In verse 317, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in the hearts of the Ephesians. But we know that we've been told that the Holy Spirit is residing in the hearts of believers, so that request sounds a little confusing. In this instance, the word dwell might be better translated as the word rule. As a fan of HGTV and Fixer Upper, this quote spoke to me. When Christ, by his spirit, takes up residence within us, he finds a moral equivalent to trash, black and silver wallpaper, and a leaking roof. He sets about turning this residence into a place appropriate for him, a home in which he is comfortable. When a person takes up long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. He is transforming us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. I've heard someone say once that many of us have asked Christ into our hearts and into our home, but we've not let him tear down any walls yet or even move the furniture around. In Ephesians 3.18, Paul makes this prayer, that we would comprehend with all the saints the limitless boundaries of God's great love. We are to grow in our understanding of God's love together. I commend you all for being in this room each Thursday, working together to better understand God. We should study the Bible together. We should discuss his love. We should share stories of his love and of his faithfulness. And we should encourage one another. Deeper understanding of his wonderful love for us will move us to love as he loved God intends to shape us through community as we reflect on his gospel. We are not intended to live the Christian life in isolation. Then finally, in verse 319, this knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge will be something that we will try to comprehend, but it's gonna take God's power to do so, so that you may be filled, excuse me, filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to be spiritually mature. We need the fullness of God's love and power in order to be like Christ and in order to reflect him into this dark world. We should seek the fullness of God's power and love that we may love our neighbors, our churches, our families, and this broken world with the love of Christ. Thank you. Would you join me in praying? Father God, we are in this room gathered together because we want to be changed by you. We thank you so much for the calling that you've made on our lives, that you've called us to be your daughters. Please help us to never take that for granted for a moment. Help us to grow together. And Father, help us to be a witness to your wisdom in this world. 
We love you and we pray in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.